Episode 22. A 42-year-old man has a history of AIDS, comes to the office due to two weeks of the painful swelling and uh, a week ago the patient was prescribed oral fluconazole for these symptoms but the pain has worsened despite of taking the medications as indicated. The laboratory testing for the previous office visit shows CD4 count of 42, viral load is 3 lakh copies per ml and endoscopy reveals a multiple multiple large and linear ulcers in the distal esophagus. The biopsy of the mucosa shows the destruction of the tissue and presence of the internuclear and the intracytoplasmic inclusions which of the following is the most appropriate pharmacotherapy for this patients. So whenever you see a linear and the distal uh, linear ulcers in the distal esophagus so the answer could be the ganciclovir. Okay so what are the common causes of esophagitis in an AIDS patient? So firstly the candida albicans. Oral thrush usually present in candida albicans white plaques throughout the esophagus and uh, biopsy shows pseudohyphae. Herpes simplex you see the orolabial lesions usually present and vesicles are there ulcerative round oval bodies are there which is also known as volcano like lesions and biopsy shows multinucleated giant cells. Cytomegalovirus example large linear ulcers in the esophagus and biopsy shows intranuclear and intracytoplasmic inclusions. This patient with AIDS has a higher risk of the esophageal infections. They typically present with painful swallowing and the retrosternal, uh, retrosternal burning. The leading pathogen that is 65% is candida albicans which is generally suspected in those with mild pain and concurrent oral thrush. Because empiric treatment with oral fluconazole is curative, the presence of the persistent and progressive symptoms on the empiric therapy generally necessitates the upper gastrointestinal endoscopy to evaluate for the common cause of infections, example cytomegalovirus, herpes simplex virus and non-infectious herpes ulcers can also be there. Cytomegalovirus esophagitis has a large linear ulcers in the distal esophagus and histopathology shows the intranuclear intracytoplasmic inclusion treatment of choice is gancyclovir. In contrast, herpes simplex virus has the well circumscribed round ovoid lesions which is also known as the volcano lesions, okay, volcano-like lesions. Most patients have concurrent oroorbital herpetic lesions. Histopathology shows ballooning degeneration and eosinophilic intranuclear inclusions. Although the acyclovir is used for the treatment of HSV, it is not an active against the uh, cytomegalovirus because uh, the cytomegalovirus does not go in for thymidine kinase which is needed to convert acyclovir into the active form. Next, uh, the other option was pentamidine which is used for prevention of the pneumocystis pneumonia. So we don't use pentamidine here. Okay, in the patients with advanced age who cannot tolerate the trimethoprim sulfamethosazole, in that case we use pentamidine. Next is the prednisone, so it is used for the treatment of recurrent aphthous ulcers, so yeah, it is not over used over here. And aphthous ulcers have a non-specific histologic finding, they may have, uh, but uh, yeah, non-specific histologic finding, there is no specific finding, okay. Candidiasis resistant to the fluconazole can be treated with voriconazoles or echinocandines such as tesofungins and amphotericin. This patient has typically um, typical yeah, endoscopic biopsy for the cytomegalovirus and therefore we don't use the fluconazole or variconazole or uh, echinocandines over here. Okay. Moving on to the next question. A 22-year-old woman, Gravida 1, Para 0, 12 weeks of gestations, comes to the office for 3 days of the rash and the fever and the malaise. Rash seems to be getting larger but does not hurt or itch. Two weeks ago, the patients went to the camping in the northern Massachusetts and had a tick bite while walking through the wood. And uh, she uh, has no drug allergies and yeah. Temperature is 101 degree Fahrenheit, blood pressure is 110, pulse is 88, respiration is 16. So rash is shown in the figure, yeah, there is a rash. Uh, so the reminder of the examination is normal, which of the following is the most appropriate for the management of this patients. So yeah, we have to see what thing should be given for the management of this patient. So, so answer to this question is the amoxicillin because the lesion was the 
bolsa lesions and it was seen with the lyme disease okay this patient scammed in an in an area endemic to the lyme disease and subsequently develops symptomatic uh, symptoms uh, systemic symptoms and macular lesions raising a strong suspicions of the early localized lyme disease lyme disease is a spirocardial infection caused by borrelia burgdorferi transmitted by a tick deer that is exuded scapularis tick most patients develop manifestations of the early and localized lyme disease 7 to 10 to 7 to 14 days after the transmission spirocardial uh, replications is in the dermis generates the rash of erythema migrans a slowly expanding macular macular lash that eventually forms an area of central clearing which is known as bullseye rash and systemic symptoms of the uh, lyme disease is the fever headache myalgias and fatigue okay now the first line treatment for in case of early localized lyme disease in a non pregnant person is a doxycycline and it is an excellent systemic penetrations and its efficacy against the pathogen is also really nice and uh, it is also against other pathogens such as anaplasma phago phagocytophilium okay commonly transmitted by exudis scapularis okay in pregnant women the use of the doxycycline is controversial possibly the risk of the fetal tooth discolorations and retardations of the skeletal muscles and also skeletal development is retarded if we are using this doxycycline in pregnancy so and it's generally only considered by well, on a case by case okay basis short uh, therapy durations and gestational age in this patient's population the oral amoxicillin is used for the in case of the uh, in for the treatment of the lyme disease azithromycin is less effective than amoxicillin and doxycycline for the lyme disease and is generally reserved for the patients who are allergic to both the medications okay so you have to rem uh, remember azithromycin is less effective but if someone has the allergy to amoxicillin and doxycycline then only use azithromycin so otherwise you use first choice is the doxycycline but if the woman is pregnant then use amoxicillin and if amoxicillin allergy is then then you use the azithromycin otherwise not okay now lyme disease during the pregnancy does not uh, appears to uh, ca uh, cause harm to the fetus so yeah you have to remember that also ceftrioxone is used only if there is severe complications in the later stages of lyme disease for example meningitis carditis then only you, you use this and ceftroproclosin is primarily used for the treatment of gram negative antro androgenic path pathogens so it will not be used here and we don't have to simply observe the patient because uh, it will ultimately lead to disseminated or later complications such as facial palsies and aseptic meningitis or heart block or arthritis so yeah we don't have to simply observe answer for this question was amoxicillin next question is a 46 year old woman comes to the office due to the painful eruptions in the left chest and the upper abdomen for the past the patient the two days prior to the onset of the rash the patient experienced burning in the same areas that was only partially reduced by acetaminophen and ibuprofen and he has never had similar symptoms in the past past medical inquiry is notable for hiv infections for which the patient has not yet taken the antiretroviral therapy temperature is 99 blood pressure is 140 by 86 and uh, pulse is 94 skin examination finding is shown below which of the following is the most appropriate initial pharmacotherapy for this patient's skin conditions so this patient has a vestibular rash and i think uh, it has again go grown again so we have to use something that uh, will help this uh, rash okay this is herpes zoster i think and these are shingles so according to me the answer for this question should be well cyclovir okay so yeah this is a case of herpes zoster shingles because the rash was that way only pathogenesis reactivations of the varicella zosters from the sensory nerve ganglions 
clinical features includes it has a prodrome phase where you see itching tingling burning in the dermatomal distributions and then you see a rash where you see a grouped papules vesicles on the erythematous base ulceration and crusting and also acute uh, neuritic pain will be also there okay post herpetic neuralgias persistent neuritic pain more than four months after the rash onset okay so post herpetic neuralgia you see there is persistent neuritic pain four months after the onset of the rash okay treatment for treatment you use antiretroviral uh, antiviral therapy where you use acyclovir valcyclovir and francyclovir post herpetic neuralgia if there then you have to use the tricyclic antidepressant pregabalin and gabapentin so yeah for antiviral therapy you have to use cyclovir valcyclovir and uh, Cyclovir and for post herpetic neuralgia you use TCA and pregabalin and gabapentin. This patient has an erythematous vesicular rash which is consistent with herpes zoster digestion gels which is caused by the reactivation of the latent varicella zoster virus following the primary infection chickenpox. Varicella zoster virus remain dormant in the dorsal root ganglions until emerging from the nerve decades later. Decrease the cell mediated immunity, older, uh, older age immunosuppressive medications such as and HIV AIDS. Uh, increases the risk of reactivations the rash begins with small papules that becomes confluent and evolved into the vesicles and the bulla which uh, subsequently ulcerate and crust into in 7 to 10 days and is usually limited in to the single dermatome and may involve the adjacent dermatome and a few scattered lesions may develop in the distal areas most patients have the associated neurotic symptoms such as itching burning and allodyna that may proceed to the onset of the rash and la last up to the months neuritic pain persists for more than four months is termed as the post-herpetic neuralgias treatment for uh, is by antiviral agents such as acyclovir pancyclovir and valcyclovir shortens the course of the acute symptoms and decreases the duration of the post-herpetic neuralgias especially if initiated within 72 hours okay the other two drugs were the fluconazole and itraconazole. So yeah, this is not used for the varicella zoster. Instead, it is used for intertigo, uh, intertigo uh, patient to treat the intertigo, which is caused by these fungal infections. Okay, and uh, yeah, or fail topical antifungal therapy. If the topical antifungal therapy is not working, then we use intertigo is a warm, moist skin fold, especially in the abdomen and the inframammillary region. So you see intertrigo there. Okay. Foscarnet is primarily used for the treatment of the drug-resistant cytomegalovirus. So yeah, Foscarnet was used for cytomegalovirus when there was drug-resistant cytomegalovirus. Okay, and it can be considered in patients with severe varicella zoster infections who fails to have uh, treated with the first-line drugs. However, it should not be used for uncomplicated syndrome. So this was an uncomplicated syndrome. So we don't have to use Foscarnet here. Gabapentin is indicated in post-herpetic neuralgia as I already told you about this. Mupirocin is a tropical antibiotic indicated for the treatment of certain secondarily infected skin wound for eradication of the nasal colonizations of the methylene-resistant staph aureus. So for MRSA, uh, and if you want to eradicate the MRSA and treatment of any secondary wound infections, so we use mupirocin, okay, so you have to remember that also. Penicillin is used for mild erysipels and also which present as an erythematous patch with raised and sharply demarcated borders. Okay, yeah. On oral glucocorticoids such as prednisone is used in, as an adjuvant treatment in shingles along with the acyclovirs. Okay, 
but appears to have a minimal benefit and do not reduce the risk of the post-herpetic neuralgias. Moving on to the next question, a 25-year-old man comes to the office due to uh, a positive home HIV test. The patient's partner was recently hospitalized with pneumocystis pneumonia, which, promptly, which prompted the patients to get tested. He has no chronic medical conditions and takes no medications. He smokes cigarettes daily and uses intravenous rowing. The patient received all the recommended childhood vaccinations up to age 18. Vital signs are normal. Physical examination reveals no abnormalities. Laboratory states are as follows. Hepatitis A antibodies are negative. Hepatitis surface antibody are positive. Hepatitis score antibody are negative. Hepatitis B antigen is the negative. Okay, so yeah, antibody is positive and antigen is negative. That means he is immunized. And anti-varicella IgG antibody is negative. Okay, so he's not immunized for the varicella. MCD4 count is 440 only. And HIV-1 RNA quantification was there. So it has 22,000 copies of per ml. Which of the following immunizations are recommended for the patients? So yeah, and they are asking what immunizations you must give for those patients. Okay, so if the count is uh, 440, okay, so... You have to give them the, firstly you have to give them the varicella zoster one because uh, it was not given previously. Maybe, I'm not sure. And uh, the next thing, hepatitis A vaccination is required in case of immunocompromised patient or what? Okay, so the answer to this question is hepatitis A is required, pneumococcal vaccine is required, zoster is required and influenza is also required. Okay, so vaccination for an adult with HIV. So hepatitis A vaccine is used and given to the patient who has chronic liver disease including the hepatitis B and hepatitis C also and men who has men, uh, sex with men so that also is uh, given with the hepatitis A vaccine and IV drug users are also given as in this case. Now hepatitis B all the patients without documented immunity for hepatitis B are given hepatitis B. Hepatitis uh, sorry uh, human papilloma virus all patient of age 11 to 26 are given human papilloma virus. Influenza or annually all the patients are given the influenza vaccines also in activated formulations meningococcus vaccine of zero groups a c w i all the patients of 11 to 18 years are given meningococcus vaccine large group living in close proximities for example college student military degrees and incarcerated individuals are also given the meningococcal vaccine a splenia or complement deficiencies are also given uh, meningococcal vaccine if the patient is not having spleen if the patient is having complement deficiency or if the patients are living in a close proximities or the patient is of 11 to 18 years okay next is the pneumococcus vaccine so pcv 13 is given only once and pcv 23 is given at eight weeks then at five years and then at 68 65 the uh, diphtheria tetanus, and persistence uh, d tap tdap vaccine is given once repeat with each pregnancy and TD only tetanus toxide is given every 10 years. Live vaccines is if MMR varicella zoster are contraindicated if the CD4 count is less than 200. Okay. Now as with all the adults the patients with HIV should receive vaccination for influenza annually in, in the fall but with the inactivated formula rather than the live attenuated that or the nasal form. So you have to use the inactivated one not the live attenuated or nasal form of the influenza. They should also receive vaccinations against the following pathogens due to the elevated risk of the infections. So hepatitis A vaccination is given. Vaccination should be hepatitis A vaccination should be administered in those with serologically no serological immunity. Hepatitis B vaccination must also be given with evidence of no serologic immunity. Streptococcus pneumonia that is 13 13 valent pneumococcal conjugate vaccine that is pcv13 that is 13 valent pneumococcal conjugate vaccine should be administered followed by 23 valent pneumococcal vaccine eight weeks later and again at five years and again at 65 years okay so first you have to give pcv13 
and after eight weeks later you have to give the ppsv 23 and after five years you have to give the ppsv 23 again and at age 65 again you have to give them ppsv 23 those are vaccines vaccination should generally be administered to those born after 1979 who have no evidence of the immunity okay as in this patients with negative antivirusal immunoglobulins the recombinated inactivated vaccines can be given to this patient ocd4 count uh, is less than 200 but immunogenic response is often muted therefore it is frequently delayed until the cd4 count improves uh, following the antiretroviral therapy initiation okay so we have to delay it we don't have to give it uh, if it is less than 200 okay next is a meningococcus vaccine so vaccination should be given to all patients with hiv and also booster should be administered every 5 years the patient with hiv also has been uh, given revaccination for the tetanus and diphtheria every 10 years a single dose of the tetanus diphtheria acellular protease that is tdap is uh, sometimes considered to address the waning pertussis immunity and uh, particularly in those who are having who has not had previous tdap okay now The next question is a 25 year old man comes to the emergency department in afternoon due to sudden onset of the abdominal cramps nausea and 6 to 7 episodes of vomiting after, uh, over the past 3 hours he has no diarrhea or fever yesterday the patient has went to a long hike in the nearby forest and had a dinner in a chinese restaurant with uh, the friend today he reheated some of the leftover noodles and rice in the lunch and none of his friend developed the similar symptoms but the patient took amoxicillin 4 weeks ago uh, for acute sinusitis another has no medical history temperature is 98.8 degree fahrenheit blood pressure is 110 by 80 and pulse is 90 the abdomen is soft and non tender no organomegaly there which of the following is the most likely cause of the patient conditions so bacterial invasion in the intestinal mucosa or ingestion of the preformed enterotoxin in the food or the intestinal bacterial colonization and toxin productions protozoal attachment and the alteration of the microvilli virus induced small intestine inflammations so i think because of the preformed toxins the bacillus cereus and the answer is true so uh, let's talk about the method pathologic mechanisms behind the football illness football illness so enterotoxic so, uh, toxins ingestions seen with uh, the staphylococcus aureus and bacillus cereus but staphylococcus aureus is a quick onset that is 1 to 6 hours and predominate and bacillus cereus is predominated with vomiting and also vomiting in this staphylococcus aureus is also predominated with vomiting next is the enterotoxins made in the intestine so here prostatin perfusions and enterotoxicogenic e coli and shiga like toxins e coli uh vibrio cholerae all these things produce the enterotoxins inside the intestine okay and they have a delayed onset that is after one day there is bloody and watery diarrhea too okay next is the epithelial uh, bacterial epithelial invasions so the organisms which invade the bacterial epitheliums are the campylobacter jejuni non typhoidal cyanobacteria and listeria monocytogens and they have variable onset and watery diarrhea bloody diarrhea fever and systemic illness seen with listeria so basically if you want to say who has enterotoxin ingestion so the answer would be staphylococcus aureus and bacillus cereus next is the enterotoxin made in the intestine so the answer would be clostridium perfringens and enter enterotoxicogenic e coli and vibrio cholerae if they are asking which bacteria invade the epithelium so answer will be campylobacter jejuni non typhoidal salmonella and listeria monocytogens enterotoxic ingestion is a quick onset 1 to 6 hours vomiting predominated enterotoxins made in the intestine are delayed onset more than one day and watery and bloody diarrhea will be there 
bacterial epithelial invasions there will be variable onset and watery bloody diarrhea fever and systemic illness now this patient has reheated rice and quickly develops the abdominal cramp, nausea and vomiting suggests the foodborne illness caused by bacillus cereus enterotoxins the bacillus cereus proliferates in the starch that is rice that have been reheated or left at the room temperature for extended periods enterotoxins are generated in the contaminated food and rapidly causing the vomiting and ingestion usually within one to six hours diarrhea and fever may occurs but are less but are less common Okay, so let me tell you one more time. The enterotoxins are generated in the contaminated food and rapidly causes the vomiting. After the ingestion, usually within 1 to 6 hours, diarrhea and fever may occur but are less common. The symptoms are usually self-limiting and resolves completely within 24 to 48 hours. Bacterial invasion of the intestine and mucosa usually causes water, watery and inflammatory diarrhea. Blood mucus and fevers can be there. The systemic infections, Campylobacter jejuni, non-typhoidal salmonella, Listeria are directly invading organisms in the intestinal mucosa. And this patient has vomiting without diarrhea, so this makes them unlikely. Okay, and uh, in colonization of the intestine and the subsequent toxin productions productions causes delayed symptom that is takes more than one day and watery and inflammatory diarrhea would be there so clostridium deficit clostridium perfringens and enterotoxicogenic e coli all operated by the same mechanism this patient has vomiting without diarrhea so yeah the answer is more the bacillus serious one okay giardia causes the blunting of the microvilli resulting in watery and foul smelling diarrheas infections may be foodborne but typically are acquired from the contaminated water and incubation period for giardia is 7 to 14 days this patient has no diarrhea and make, making the mechanism unlikely small intestine mucosal inflammations is likely to result in watery diarrhea due to disruptions of the in the water resorptions and this patients with vomiting alone is uh, unlikely to have significant uh, small intestine inflammations viral enterogastritis are usually caused by combinations of the vomiting and diarrhea now moving on to the next question a 29 year old man comes to the office due to 10 days of the fatigue copious watery watery diarrhea he has had no fever stool or with blood or mucus or tenesmus or vomiting the patients returned a week ago from the three weeks of the europe uh, eastern europe trip during the trip he spent much time in hiking and swimming in the local lakes and the streams and he has no chronic medical problems and takes no medications the patient does not use tobacco alcohol is it any drug temperature is 99 blood pressure is 120 by 74 pulse is 80 and respiration is 15 cardiopulmonary examination is normal abdomen is non-tender and soft and but there is increased bowel sound with no organomegaly and stool is negative for leukocytes and fecal alcohol blood test is also negative which of the following pathogens is most likely responsible for this patient's current symptoms so patient is having fatigue and also he's having copious watery diarrhea okay so there is a lot and lot of watery diarrhea but his stool has no he has no fever or stool or blood in the yeah so we have to rule out the disease so the answer for this question is cryptosporodium parvum okay Although bacterial and viral pathogens are the most common cause of traveler's diarrhea, parasitic organisms such as Cryptosporodium parvum and Cyclospora and Giardia are also responsible for prolonged and profuse watery diarrhea. So basically, when you see prolonged and profuse watery diarrhea or traveler's diarrhea, the, you mainly have to think about the viral and the bacterial pathogen. But Cryptosporodium parva, Cyclospora and Giardia can also cause the same prolonged profuse watery diarrhea. Cryptosporodium parvum is an intracellular pathogen transmitted via ingestion of the contaminated water drinking or swimming in that particular water oocyte released in the sporozoids oocyte release sporozoids that penetrate the intestinal epithelium resulting in alt altered villus architectures 
although a minority of the patients remain asymptomatic most of them has profuse watery diarrhea malaise nausea cramping abdominal pain and low grade fever may also occur fecal laboratory testing is rarely positive for leukocyte or the blood but microscopic with specialized stains is usually diagnostic of choice routine stool ova and parasite test does not typically identify the cryptosporidium parvum so if you want to answer for the cryptosporidium parvum the diagnostic test the answer would be the microscopy with specialized stains okay other otherwise healthy adult typically have the spontaneous resolution of the symptoms within 10 to 14 days however the patients who has immunocompromised state that is aids are at increased risk of severe and chronic disease okay next is the most cases of the clostridium difficile arise in those who have recently been hospitalized or treated with antibiotics so there was no such history and manifestation of the clostridium difficile is watery diarrhea and it can be associated with mucus or occult blood abdominal pain and cramping would be there leukocytosis would be there okay but there is no risk factors for the clostridium difficile next is the entamoeba isolitica which is a rare cause of travelers diarrhea that is uh, very less uh, chances okay and it typically present with sub acutely in uh, individuals who live and have spent extended times or month in a particular endemic areas next is the sigella flexillary so it uh, can cause the travelers diarrhea but it associated with dysentery that is blood and the mucosa mucus uh, diarrhea okay next is the strongyloid sarcolaris strongyloid is sarcolaris is an helminth that can typically cause mild and intermittent skin rash and gastrointestinal and pulmonary symptoms and uh, although diarrhea and abdominal pain may occur but profuse diarrhea is atypical for this okay now next question is a 42 year old man comes to the office due to non pyretic non painful skin lesions on the left upper arm that begins two months ago he has had tingling and numbness of the left fingers okay so he is having non pyretic non painful lesions of the left upper arms and he had tingling and numbness of the left fingers the patient has no medical history and does not take any medications he is a migrant from the southeast asia and connecticut a uh, year ago okay temperature is 97 blood pressure is 126 by 82 and pulse is 74 skin examination is 4 cm well circumscribed hyperpigmented patch on the left upper arm with no sensation of the pin prick the ulnar nerve is thickened and ten, uh, tender at the left elbow touch and pain sensation is absent in the left ulnar regions and uh, which of the following is the most likely way of confirming the diagnosis in this patients so is it because of the antiburelia burgerda for a antibody assay or you need to do a koh preparation of the skin scraping or you need to do nerve conduction studies or you need to do skin biopsy from the age of the lesions or you need to do the treponomal serology testing or tuberculin skin test so this is a condition of leprosy so we we should do the skin biopsy from the age of lesion now let's talk about leprosy epidemiology of leprosy it is caused by mycobacterium leprae primarily in the developing world seen in asia africa and south america and respiratory droplets and nine banded armadillo it is mainly caused by spread with the help of respiratory droplets on nine banded armadillo it has low infectivity manifestations includes macular anesthetic skin lesions with raised borders so it has a macular anesthetic means there is no sensation skin border skin lesions with raised border nodule nodular and painful near nearby nerves with loss of sensory and motor functions okay so there is nodular and painful nearby nerve and there is loss of sensory and motor functions okay now let's talk about the diagnosis so full thickness biopsy of the skin lesions that is active ages must be done and mycobacterium leprae is not culturable treatment for treatment of the leprosy you do the dapsone and rifampin 
and you can add clofazimine if it is multibacillary. So leprosy is a chronic granulomatous disease of the skin and the peripheral nerves that can uh, that is caused by an acid fast bacilli mycobacterium lepri. Transmission occurs to, occurs via the respiratory droplets, although the cases are occasionally linked to the close contact with the nine banded armadillo. Infections are rare in United States and occurs primarily in immigrants and travelers to endemic regions, example as Asia, Africa, South America. Manifestations include more than equal to one chronic anesthesia macular. Often hyperpigmented skin lesions with raised, well demarcated borders. Nearby nerves often become nodular and tender. And these segmental demyelinations may result in loss of sensation and motor functions. Diagnosis is clinical in the endemic regions, but in United States, the patients usually have a full thickness biopsy of the skin lesions. And you see, mycobacterium lepri is not culturable, so the patient with minimal lesions, that is, pausy bacillary, are treated with dapsone and rifampin. Although the extensive lesion that is multibacillary requires an additional crofazimine, the lesion takes uh, months to years to heal completely. The next options are Lyme's disease where, where you the manifestation is erythema migraines, a slowly spreading erythematous lesion with central clearing. You see a bullseye lesion in there and sensory and motor neuropathy may sometimes be there in early Lyme's disease and nerve thickness and tenderness is not seen in case of Lyme's disease. Next is the KOH scrapping. So KOH scrapping is used for the diagnosis of dermatophytes that is Tinea corporis and Candida elficans. Tinea corporis causes the ringworm which manifests as puritic scaly papule with a spread centrifugally and leaves the central clearing anesthesia and nerve nodularity was not seen with that okay next is the nerve conduction studies uh, are likely to be abnormal in this patients okay but would provide would but not provide a diagnosis okay next is the primary syphilis which is characterized by painless canker that is shallow non-purulent ulcers with raised and well demarcated borders tertiary syphilis may cause the skin gummas soft and ulcerative masses with necrotic centers Neither primary nor tertiary syphilis is commonly associated with localized anesthesia or nodular peripheral nerves. Mycobacterium tuberculosis can rarely cause the skin manifestations including the ulcers, nodules and warty plaques. A hyperpigmented anesthetic patch with nerve and nodularity pain is more commonly or more likely due to leprosy. Yeah. So yeah, the answer is very clear. It's leprosy. So this is all about this lecture. Thank you so much for listening.